This episode of the Adoption Connection podcast is sponsored by the book, The Connected Parent, Real Life Strategies for Building Trust and Attachment, written by the late Dr. Karen Purvis and me. This new book for parents and caregivers combines the rich experience and scientific insights of Dr. Karen Purvis with personal stories from my parenting journey. There is hope for every child, every parent, and every family. Find out more about the book and get a free resource at onethinkfulmom.com slash book. Welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast, where we share resources by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it and we're here for you. Today is a Mentor Moments episode where we answer a listener question. These episodes give you a chance to join the conversation and guarantee we're providing the most helpful tools and resources for exactly where you are. This week's question is, how do you recover on days when a child has a meltdown? My mind and emotions shut down and I can hardly function the rest of the day. Well, most of the time my trauma kids move on with their day and they get past it. Oh man, I have been here and it's so crazy, right? How we kind of get stuck in their brain. It's almost like a switch flips and one minute they can be super, super aggressive. And then the next minute they're like asking you to tuck them into bed. And so their brain is switching on and off pretty quickly. And then we're left, I call it emotional whiplash, right? Where it's really hard to keep up and it happens so fast. And even just the transition of one to another is another factor that just makes you weary. It does. And I think you feel it in your body. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, going back to uh, a book that we've mentioned before, Bessel van der Kolk's The Body Keeps the Score, right? Like our bodies do kind of embody the stress and the trauma and the conflict. And I think the older we get to, it's harder and harder to kind of shed off these, these experiences. So, well, I appreciate you saying that given that I'm nearly 20 years older than you are. So imagine <laughs> how hard it is for me, Melissa. <laughs> oh man. Well, the good news is, is that we have, discovered over the years through our experiences ways that we can bounce back. Uh, There are some things intentionally we can do. And so we have seven things that have worked for us uh, and that also have been mentioned in our Facebook community that people have shared. And so we're going to run through those and hopefully you'll find some nuggets in here that will help you recover from the next big blow up in your house. So number one is press the easy button. So I'm pretty sure you can imagine what I'm talking about. Basically, when you're trying to recover from a big meltdown, you need to make things as easy for yourself as possible because you will have a lot of stress chemicals coursing through your blood. You're going to be potentially, you know, kind of crashing and feeling really exhausted. So if that means whatever it is that makes life easier, that's what you need to do. If that means ordering pizza for dinner, if that means putting all the kids in front of a movie, if it means letting one of the kids do something that you would normally say no to, like, oh, I don't know, what would be a good example of that? Melissa, I'm trying to think. Maybe give a privilege or something that they normally, like maybe if you normally don't do screen time or video games in the middle of the day, or you don't Mm -hmm. do jumping on the trampoline until after all the schoolwork's over, maybe just saying bonus surprise, we get to Mm -hmm. play hooky today. We're all going to go do something fun. 
Absolutely. Back when I was homeschooling, sometimes I would just end the school day, you know, and say we're done now. And because I couldn't come up with the energy to get refocused again after a really difficult episode. So yes, number one, press the easy button. Yeah. Number two is remember the basics. So going through and weathering a really big rage or meltdown is hard on our body. It takes a lot of energy and our body needs the basic building blocks, the resources. So food, water, sleep, that night may be a good night to turn in a little bit earlier. But I think a lot of times we get so caught up in these things. I mean, one, they just actually take a lot of time. And then two, you know, they take space on our mental platter and we forget to do things like drink water and eat lunch or eat anything. You know, I can't, you know, I can remember times when I would get to the end of the day and I'd be making dinner for everyone thinking, why am I so cranky and hungry? And I realized that I didn't stop midday to eat. So just make sure that you're getting those really basic foundational things that your body needs so that your body can re-energize itself. And if you're in a season where you have a child who's really struggling, it's really important to be sort of preemptive, you know, with sleep, like be sure you're going to bed early because you know, you're going to need the extra capacity the next day. You know, don't, you know, try to run ahead of it. That's what I always think. Try to get ahead of the need. Well, right. And you know, it's really not if you have a big event or meltdown like this, it's kind of when, and so I think you're right. Like preparing ourselves like it's going to happen. Number three, find solidarity. So of course, what we mean by that is you need to connect with someone who supports you and understands you, whether it is a spouse who you need to call at work and just talk it out and process a little bit. Or if you have a really good friend, we always talk about the importance of having at least one good friend who you can be very honest with, who will not judge you, who will not try to... um, suggest that you read a book or something like that, but will actually listen and support and help you feel like you're not totally nuts, you know, but that what you're dealing with is actually really, really hard and is taking a lot of mental and physical energy. And I I have a a woman that I know who told me that she used to go in her walk-in closet with her phone and call a friend who would also go in her closet and they would talk to each other. And I've always had this image of them, you know, sitting in their closets talking. So, and of course, come into the Facebook group and share it. Uh, If you are in our Facebook group, there are always people there interacting And, you know, if you need even more support, you know, we talk about the village all the time. The village is a great place to come and just find some solidarity with people who understand you. Yeah, I am an external processor. And so this is really important for me to let go of something is to be able to talk it out, narrate it. Uh, Robin Goebel has talked about this on the podcast before, how creating a story from something, narrating it out is really an important piece of kind of filing away something that's traumatic and and being Mm -hmm. able to move past it. And I think that's true for us too. And so even just recently, we had a hard conversation with one of our kids. And as soon as it was over, I felt like I needed to get on Voxer and leave you a message, Lisa, or jump on my Marco Polo group. Like I just felt like I needed to tell somebody (laughs) that it had happened and get this validation that uh, that I wasn't crazy or, you know, that it is hard to be so many years in and still be running around the same issues again and again. And I also used to, um, I wasn't always as judicious about who I told these things to, but one of the things that was helpful for me is sometimes I would, um, 
you can set a Facebook post to only post to you. So like no one else sees it. And so sometimes <laughs> I would like write it all out and just hit post. Cause it felt like it would like trick my brain to think that I'd like put it out into the world, but I really hadn't. Um, it was only visible to me. So it was kind of like a, almost like a diary entry or something. So mm-hmm. those types of things have been really helpful. So one, press the easy button Two, remember the basics. Three, find some solidarity Four is exercise. We've talked kind of ad nauseum. I feel like about exercise and the chemicals that it releases into your bloodstream, but it also, our body needs to move to feel back in control. Um, It's why we have things like fight or flight, right? Movement helps our body deal with something that feels uh, like a threat to us. And movement also helps us release that, that stress and that conflict. Um, so a little bit of yoga, a walk, um, we've talked about the power of nature just being really soothing to the soul. Um, so really get out and move and it doesn't have to be, you know, the kind of movement that exhausts you, but really the kind of movement that helps again, release that. And, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about this, but by personality, certain types of movement might feel better. You know, if you're, Uh, a really aggressive personality, it might feel good to go to a kickboxing class at the end of a day like this and just get it all out. Um, But maybe, you know, a calm walk or yoga is more your speed. We also learned this from Robin Goebel in one of our episodes way back in the beginning, where she talked about um, activities that are regulating, things that are calming to us and to our brains are, are things that are rhythmic, they're repetitive, they're relational, and they give us sensory input. So walking uh, riding a bike, rocking in a rocking chair, if you can't get out and get some exercise, just those kinds of movements, jumping on a trampoline, those kinds of movements are really calming and I think restorative to our brains. And I, since I learned that, I've put it into practice quite a lot. Yeah. Five is find some comfort and nurture for yourself. And that is going to look different to everybody. What is comforting to me might not be comforting to you. But I can remember times where I was so depleted and so shaken by what had happened that I just needed to wrap up in a blanket and lie down on on my bed or on the sofa and just kind of be, um, I don't know, enclosed in this blanket and comforted. Um, Another time when things were really, really hard, I remember Russ was sitting in this big rocker recliner we have, and I literally just got on his lap and curled up. And he just rocked me. And I remember thinking, ah, this is why this works for our kids, because it felt so extremely comforting. I mean, when as an adult does anybody rock us, you know? So um, whatever it is that is nurturing to you, a, a warm cup of tea, some women, people like taking baths, you know, all of those kinds of things can be comforting and nurturing. And that's what you need in times like this. So part of comfort and nurture too is that, you know, it's perfectly okay to choose a distraction, something that's going to kind of lift your mood and get your mind off of all of the hard, hard, hard that you've just been through. You know, for some of us, that's going to be music. It might be watching a comedy show or some kind of TV show that you really enjoy. I have a friend who, when she was going through chemo, watched the same rom-com over and over and over again because she found it very comforting. And it was a good distraction, even though she became super familiar with it, you know? Because one of the things that we've learned in our work, Melissa, is that emotional pain is 
actually activates the same parts of the brain as physical pain does. And so our bodies register it in the same way, which means that when we experience something painful emotionally, we're probably going to want to distance ourselves and step back. But this distraction can just help us bring all of that down so that we're in a calmer space. Yeah. It's like when, you know, your kids fall and hurt, you know, like scrape their knee. My husband who thinks he's so funny, right. will you know, be like, well, do you want me to like hammer your thumb instead? Right. you know, if that's, we can, we can make that feel better by, you know, creating a distraction over here. (laughs) Um, And I think the things that are comforting, nurturing, distracting for all of us are going to be a little bit different based on personality. The things that energize me as an extrovert are going to be very different than the things that energize my husband, who's a kind of true introvert. He's super social, but at the end of the day, he energizes by being alone. Uh, I think, you know, certain personalities are a little bit more assertive, have more energy. Um, They may feel more anger after an incident like this, they maybe need to burn off. Some personalities are a little bit more withdrawing, right? This might really, really zap them. Um, And some personalities are going to be kind of anxious after the whole thing, really others oriented, really worried about the break in relationship. Uh, And so just pay attention to that and also pay attention to how that might be different than maybe the person who you're co-parenting with. So that person may not understand why you're, you know, zapped or energized or whatever by the whole situation at the end of the day. And if you experience it together, then you also might be processing it completely differently and need different things. So I tend to, again, like I said, I'm a verbal processor, which is really hard for my introverted husband. And so we would get to the end of a you know, multi-hour meltdown. And I just, I felt like I had to revisit it and talk it and talk through it. And he was like, ah, just stop. (laughs) He just needed silence. Mm -hmm. I think too, we didn't think about this before, but I think we need to give ourselves a whole lot of grace because we might be replaying over and over in our heads, all the things we did wrong. Mm. And it's really easy. I think it was very easy for me to be hard on myself. Like I shouldn't have said this this way, or I should have offered this, or I, I should have employed this technique instead of that. You know, I would tend to play it over and over and feel, you know, think of all my failures. And that's not particularly helpful. You know, we can learn from things, but probably not immediately after. I think when we can recover and then reflect, then we can analyze it better than we can maybe immediately afterward. Right. And, and I've said this a lot too, you know, you might have done everything right and it still could have gone south really fast and, and in a really big way. So yes, be kind to yourself. Yes. Okay. Number seven, our last point is to tag out or get some respite. So if you were the one at home dealing with the huge rage, you might need someone in your family, maybe your spouse, to come home and take over. And maybe you would actually want to leave the house and go somewhere else to get a true break. You are off duty. You've done everything you can do. You're exhausted. You need to just step out of the whole thing. And whether that means you go wander around Target or you go to a movie or you go see a friend, you you let someone else take over 100%. And, you know, it's really wise, I think, to plan ahead 
and think about who is going to provide you with respite because maybe you and your spouse were in, in it together and you both need a break now. And maybe your other children in the home need a break. You know, these, these really explosive things can be very traumatizing to the other children and they might need to actually be comforted by you. And so if you can establish some people that would provide respite for you, especially if you could find someone who will do it in the moment, then when it's all over and it's not a punishment, you know, but when it's all over, you let your child go be with someone else for a little bit of time so that everybody has a chance to recover. And if you can even do it for an extended period of time, that's great. But whatever the length respite is extremely helpful, but you have to plan ahead for it. Yeah, you do. And I would say part of planning ahead might be to institute the fact that you need respite anyway, that there might be a a weekend a month or a night a week or that you get that respite kind of no matter what, even if it's been an okay week, but chances are you're going to need a break either way. And so if you can't, find somebody who can jump in at short notice, at least you'll know, you know, in a couple more days, it'll be our regular respite break. That's a really good point. We were extremely blessed to have a friend who took our daughter, and I've said this before, but she would pick her up from school every Wednesday and take her home and keep her until after dinner. And that was incredibly helpful, you know, and it wasn't like I was asking her to keep her for the weekend, you know, but it was just really helpful to have that regular break and know that it was coming. Yeah, for sure. So just to review really quickly, number one, press the easy button. Number two, remember the basics. Number three, grab some solidarity and some friendship. Number four, exercise. Five, um, comfort, nurture, and or distract yourself. Six, give yourself some grace and kindness. And seven, find some respite for yourself. If you have a question that you would like us to answer in a mentor moment, please go to our Facebook group, write it as a post and just tag it mentor moment and we will see it and we will be able to put it in the queue to discuss in an upcoming episode. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram as the adoption connection. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick review over on iTunes. It will help us reach more moms who may be feeling alone. And remember, until next week, you're a good mom doing good work, and we're here for you. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.